I hear a lot of people saying that we shouldn't judge people, that we should just let God judge. And people say, I want to be judged on my own merit. Well, let me tell you, quite honestly, my own merit is no good. I do not want to be judged on my own merit, because if I was judged on my own merit, I would be headed straight to hell. Because apart from Christ, I hated God and everything to do with Him. But, God, who is rich in mercy, reached down into my life and He claimed me for His own. And He took on Him my sin and He gave me His righteousness instead. The name of my sermon today is The Facts of Life. And so we're going to talk about different aspects of life from a biblical perspective. So if you are taking notes, that is the title, The Facts of Life. And I want to start uh, with an introduction, um, which includes part of the beginning of the Declaration of Independence. We just had the 4th of July and celebrated the 246th birthday of America as a nation. And just shortly before that, we saw the overturn of the Roe versus Wade decision, uh, which allowed for states to now take their own unique positions on the issue of abortion and of life. And as I've seen Christians and non-Christians alike grapple with this issue, the one thing that I have thought about repeatedly is that we don't often have the correct view of life from God's perspective. So what I'm attempting to do this morning is to look at four different points that God has to tell us about life. But let's start with this introduction. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. And I think it's very important for people to know the contents of our founding documents. Because there's a lot of people that argue um, about whether something is constitutional or not, or whether the founders would have uh, approved of something or not without knowing what the founders actually thought. And I want to draw your attention to this line. Um, we hold these truths to be self-evident, meaning they don't need to be explained because we can see them. That all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. A lot of times we think about the rights that we have and the laws that we pass is that our government grants us rights. And it was the position of the Founding Fathers that no, our Creator gave us these rights and it's our job as the founders of this country to make sure that we give the citizens the freedom to exercise these rights. So I think that's a good jumping off point for our discussion today. Our first point is life comes from the hand of God. 
Let's read from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And I want you to notice a couple different things. If you read through the whole first chapter of Genesis, and on to this part of the second chapter of Genesis, you find that God, throughout the creation story, He speaks something into existence, and it becomes the thing. He says, let the waters come, and the waters came. He said, divide the land from the sea, and, and the land was divided. He said, let the plants grow, and the plants grew immediately. He said, let the beasts crawl all over the earth, and the beasts came up. But it's only in the case of mankind, where it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life and man became a living soul. So I want you to notice here that God formed us from the dust of the ground. Everything else in creation was spoken into existence, but God said, no, speaking this into existence is not enough. He said in Genesis 1.27, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness. We're going to look at that cross-reference in just a moment. But the idea being that we are different from the rest of creation. Man is not just the top of the animal kingdom. He is the only non-animal in creation. And he is made in the express image of God. And so as believers, as we are engaging in the marketplace of ideas on this idea of life, this is a key thing for us to realize, that we are not just another aspect of the created order. We are the crowning achievement of the whole of creation. When God was done making mankind, he saw, he looked on it, and he saw that it was very good. That is something that we need to realize. So, backtracking to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, let's read here. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over all the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So he created us in, our, in his own image with the express purpose that we would have dominion over the earth. We're in a place in our culture today where people often worship the creation over the creator. They say, save the baby whales, which if the whales are endangered, yes, we should do whatever we can to help the whales. But a lot of the time, the people that say, save the baby whales, say, kill the baby humans. And that's just wrong. We are to have dominion over the earth. We are to be in charge of the animals. We are to use them for God's glory, but they are not on the level with humankind. And then, it says in the end of this passage, that He created us male and female. Men and women are divine aspects of God's creativity. And when we say that we are neither man nor woman, or when we 
say something else outside of the created order that God laid down, we are criticizing the creator of all mankind. We are saying, God, you made a mistake. When in fact, he makes no mistakes and his ways are perfect. And we can trust him. If someone could look up for me, if you have your Bible with you, Psalm 139, 13 and 14. Psalm 139, 13 and 14. If you get there, if you could stand up and read it for us as loud as you can, that would be great. Psalm 139, 13 and 14. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So, the psalmist is saying here, I know that you knit me together in my mother's womb. Now we know that there is a physical process through which babies are made. But ultimately, God is the one who puts the baby together. He is the one that authors the DNA that is that child. And that child grows from one cell to many cells and continues to grow and develop through the nine months of pregnancy, Lord willing, and then is born and begins life here on earth. But it doesn't start out as something and then become human. It's human from the very outset of life. And I think it's important for us as believers to have that view and to be able to articulate it well to those who we love. A great masterpiece of literature which shows in a most fascinating way how many things a man can contrive and put together and how many useful uh, and how many useful articles he can manufacture even though never trained to do it is Defoe's tale of the shipwrecked Caruso. So we're talking about Robinson Caruso. He made his house his clothes, he grew and prepared his own grain for food, and slew his own meat. He arrived at length at a state of affluence and luxury which every real boy has envied, and all that was the work of one poor, untrained, shipwrecked man. But Robinson Crusoe created nothing. Without the raw material, he would have died. Christian doctrine tells a, tells a man that with all his intelligence and cunning, he could not have made the earth on which he lives, not to speak of himself. That there is an almighty, though invisible God who has made him and his world is a truth that at once commands itself to the conscience of man. There is that in man, however, he may play with ideas, which says the moment this truth is presented to him, that is true, that is as it ought to be, as it must be. It is he that has made us, and not we ourselves. Psalm 100, verse 3. So we see in this illustration once again, as, as much ingenuity as... God, as man has, and we have seen like rises in technology like none other in my lifetime. I always joke with people, but it's really true, that I got through college online on dial-up. Mm -hmm. um, I had a second phone line in my bedroom so that I could be on the internet all day long, and I did my college work online before it was cool, and uh, was actually a pioneer 
for the last college that I graduated from because I was the only one who was emailing my assignments in and not sending them via snail mail. And then, like, a year after I graduated, um, they opened that up to all students. And so I really feel like a pioneer with that. But all that to say, technology's come a long way from there. When my brother complains that our Wi-Fi is slow, I'm just, I just remind him of my college years. And uh, then he still complains, but at least it gives him some context. So, but this is just to say, life is beautiful. As the crowning jewel of creation, we should rejoice every time a baby is born. It should not be a cause for consternation. It should not be considered an inconvenience or a commodity. It should be considered a blessing. And that actually leads me into my second point. Life is a blessing. Psalm 127, 3 through 5. Psalm 127, 3 through 5 is where I will be reading our next passage. And um, this has always meant a lot to me growing up in a big family as I have and having parents that have taught me that children are a blessing. I'm blessed to say that I am the uncle to 28 and um, I love being an uncle. I still pray that someday I may become a dad even if it's to someone else's children. That could be another prayer request you could add on my behalf. But this is what the psalmist said in Psalm 127, 3-5. He says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they will speak with the enemies in the gate. And it's really exciting to be able to tell you that my mom has been a stay-at-home mom my whole life. She has raised 11 children to adulthood, and she has she homeschooled all of us. But her influence is huge because every time she sends one of us out into the world, we have an opportunity to impact others for Christ, and it's largely because of the influence of our mother. I'm here today because my mother led me to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, in effect, my ministry is her ministry. So, please don't let anybody downplay the ministry that a mother can have. Again, this is something that I think our culture needs to grasp. We're we're thinking about the wrong things. We're so individualistic in our culture that that we, we think that the removal of, of abortion as a viable option in our society is so insidious upon us instead of seeing life for the blessing that it is. Because that's what the Bible teaches us. Um, if somebody could look at Genesis chapter 20, verses 17 and 18. Genesis 20, 17 and 18. If someone gets there again if you could stand up and read it for us I would really appreciate it
So, for context, Abram is going into Egypt and he says, you are a very pretty woman. That's, that's the Andrew Gomez in paraphrase. But he basically says, you are a very pretty woman. If they know that you're my wife, they will steal you from me and they'll kill me so they can have you. So he says, rather than that happening so that I can save my skin, which is not a very good character quality to have as a man, because as a man you should be protecting your wife. But he says, lie and say you're my sister. Now, it was only a half lie, because she was his half-sister, but it was still a lie. So he says, lie and say you're my sister. Well, then what happens? Then the pharaoh, Abimelech, takes her into his harem, and his intention is to eventually make her his wife. But God causes Abimelech not to touch her. But he causes something else to happen too. He causes barrenness throughout the whole household of Abimelech. So in this passage we see that barrenness is considered a curse. Because the fruitful womb, as we read in Psalm 127, is considered a blessing. And I think a lot of times, even within our churches, we have those things turned around. And so we need to make sure that we are viewing children as a blessing. Psalm 128, 3 and 4 says this, Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the side of thy house, thy children like olive plant round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall be the man blessed, that feareth the Lord. So again, we see another passage where blessing from the Lord is conveyed through children. Now, obviously, God has a plan for every life. I don't have any children yet. Do I think that God has not blessed me? No. But all I am saying is that when God specifically calls something a blessing, we should really evaluate how we feel about that. Because there aren't very many things that God directly says, this is a sign of blessing for you. And so we need to be aware of that. If someone could also look up Matthew 19, 13, and 14. Matthew 19, 13, and 14. And again, if you get there and can stand and read it for us, I would really appreciate it. You want to know what a biblical view of children is? Jesus said, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. In fact, he said, in order for me to come to him, I have to be like a little child. As we get older, we allow uh, logic and 
and other things to crowd in and say, well, this can't possibly be true. But if you've ever spent time with a little kid, if you tell them something, if you've proven trustworthy in their past, nine times out of ten, they're going to believe you. And Jesus is saying, that's the kind of um, that's the kind of approach, that's the kind of view that you have to have of me in order to come to me. And in order to reap the full blessing of being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine if we started raising generations of children who stood uncompromisingly on the Word of God, knew how to defend the Christian faith, could answer the skeptical questions of the age, and had a fervor to share the gospel from the authority of God's word with whomever they met, they could change the world. And that's really what we should be about as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Acts says that the disciples turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. And that's the kind of testimony that I want to have. So we've seen here that so far that life comes from the hand of God. We've seen that life is a blessing. So what's the third point? The third point is life has purpose. You ever heard somebody say, I don't know why I'm here? Or or you hear um, evolutionists, atheists say, we just are on this ball of fire and it exploded one day and then we came out of the primordial mist and now we're just here floating in nothingness. I can't imagine living that way. The Bible tells us otherwise. Ephesians 2 verse 10. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says... After explaining the fact that we are saved by grace through faith, Paul says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now I ask you, would you rather wake up and believe that you came from nothing, that you're going to nothing, and that you have no purpose for why you are here, or would you rather wake up knowing that the creator of the universe has a plan for you and has works that he wants you to do as his created being? I know life can be a struggle. Some days, I don't want to get out of bed. Some nights, I lay awake almost in tears because I'm frustrated with the limitations that I have physically, with my failures in my career and my failures in relationships because of my disability. Those things sometimes tear me up inside, but ultimately I know that I have a purpose in my life. That there was a purpose for the fact that even though I was supposed to be born in August of 1979, God called me to come in May of 1979 And even though I can't run and jump and play today, I know that the sufferings of this 
present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. And I know that one day, my body will be exchanged for a new body, one that's incorruptible, one that's free of pain, free of cerebral palsy, and one that will run and jump, probably more so than some other people up there because they might say that's old hat for us. But for me, it's going to be brand new, and I can't wait. Can we look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 10 to 12? Colossians 1, 10 to 12. If somebody gets there, you could stand and read that for us. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully give thanks to the Father. That's good. Yeah, so he wants you. Paul is saying, I want you to grow in the Lord. You draw your power from the Lord, and He will strengthen you. And then He will cause you to bear more fruit for Him. And that was Paul's desire for the people that he was reaching out to. That was Paul's desire for him. Remember, in one of his epistles, he says, Please pray that God would give me more boldness to share. Now, if you're thinking about bold people in the New Testament, Paul shoots right to the top of the list. And yet this bold guy who preaches Christ wherever he goes, even in a Roman jail cell, by the way, when he's writing the book of Philippians, because he says at the end of the book of Philippians, the saints of Caesar's household greet you. He still prayed for more boldness. That humbles me. And reminds me that if God used Paul, He can use me as well. John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. John 10, 9 and 10. If we can turn there next. Again, if somebody can find it, that would be great. I'm actually there, so I will go ahead and read it. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come, that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. So we have here uh, this passage where Jesus is saying, if you want to know how to get to heaven, I am the door. If you go through me, you will find pasture. You will be fed. He compares us to sheep because we need help. There was one passage in the elsewhere in the Gospels where he where he looked on the people and he mourned for them because they were scattered as sheep having no shepherd. And then he talks about the thief coming to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil's having a field day right now with people who hate human life, who want abortion to thrive. Because he hates you. Why does he hate you? Because you're made in the image of the God that he rebelled against in Isaiah 
chapter 14. When he said, I will ascend above the Most High. I will be like the Most High God. You read that passage, it says, I, over and over again, I, 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 I. What's the center letter of sin? I. Because when we turn our lives over to Christ, it's not about us anymore. It's about serving others. There was a, a gentleman by the name of Gail Sayers who played running back for the Chicago Bears. And I don't know if he was if he was a genuine born-again believer, but I thought it was interesting that his book was called I Am Third. Uh, because the idea was to put God first and put others before yourself and then put yourself third. And Paul said in Philippians, let each esteem other better than themselves. If we all walk through life with the idea of how can I make others do better today? How can I make others feel better today? Man, this would be a perfect place to live. But we're all too self-centered. And I'm pointing at myself when I say this. Because goodness knows I've been self-centered a time or two or three hundred. But God's mercy is still there and He still wants to continue to work on us, to conform us to the image of His Son who said He came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. A man without a purpose is like a ship without a rudder, a waif, a nothing, a no man. Have a purpose in life and having it, throw such strength of mind and muscle into your work as God has given you. Thomas Carlyle. Another passage says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. Alright, well we're to our final point for this morning. Perhaps the most sobering of the points of my message today. And that is, life is brief. James 4, 13 to 15. James 4, 13 to 15. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. So James is letting us know that life at best is very brief. Even if you live a hundred years, it's not that much. I always think back to Genesis before the flood when they lived even longer like Adam and Eve lived after they sinned about 900 years that seems like a whole lot of time Methuselah the longest living man lived 969 years seems like a whole lot of time 
by comparison, though, our country is less than 250 years old. It's sobering to me sometimes when I look back at life and I realize that I can look back and remember things 30 years ago. I, you know, I remember when I was in vacation Bible school as a third or fourth grader, thinking that the ninth graders who were helping out were so old. I remember thinking 30 was old, and now I'm 43 and I don't feel old at all. So, it's just amazing how your perspective changes. Over the last four years, I've said goodbye to my two longest living grandparents, and they were a blessing in my life. And uh, all through your all through your life as a little grandkid, you always think they're old. So when you get to be an adult, you're like, well, they're not as old as I thought. And then you're like, they're never going to get old. And then one day you blink and you turn around and you realize, hey, they're getting pretty old. They're not going to be around forever. So if you have those parents or grandparents in your life, please let them know how you care about them because you won't have them forever. Um, in my family, there's, as I said, 11 living children. And there's a 22-year age gap between me as the oldest and my youngest sister, who is 21. And the joke is that I have young parents, but she does not. Um, because there's actually a, a larger age gap between my sister and I than there is between my dad and I. So that is kind of an interesting thing. Um, but life at best is very brief. Let's look at First Peter 1, 24 and 25. 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. So, Peter is saying all flesh is as grass. This human life that we're in right now, that's going to fade away. And I'm actually glad that it is. You know, it used to confuse me as a kid that after Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, why would God then guard the tree of life so they couldn't live eternally? But if you think about it, if, they hadn't, if, they, if he hadn't guarded the tree of life and Adam and Eve were able to live eternally as sinful beings... Guess what? I would be doomed to an eternity in my wheelchair because there'd be nothing better. But instead, God guarded the tree of life so that he could send Jesus after the fullness of time, born of a woman, to redeem those who are under the law so that we could have incorruptible bodies someday. And so that because we are anticipating that, we can be steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Can we also look at Hebrews chapter 9, verses 26 and 27? Hebrews 9, 26 and 27. 
heathen would have to suffer for often since the foundation of the world. But now, once after the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin as a sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for the man to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin for salvation. So we see in this passage that um, Jesus came as a once for all sacrifice, as a replacement for the sacrifice that happened once a year at the Day of Atonement by the high priest that had to atone for their own sins and then enter for the sins of the people, but they had to do it year after year because it wasn't sufficient to do enough. But then Jesus did it once for all. And I hadn't included verse 28 in my notes, but go ahead and add that to the notes because I think it's an important, completed thought. Because it's appointed unto man once to die and after this to the judgment, but then Jesus was offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him, he shall appear a second time without sin unto salvation. See, I was saved right before I turned five when I trusted Jesus to pass me from death to life. I'm being saved because I'm being sanctified and being conformed more to the image of his son every day, Lord willing. But I will be saved permanently when he comes again and sets the earth right. The Bible says there will be a new heaven and a new earth. The Bible says that all creation groans for the end of time. Creation feels the pain of sin. Why do trees die? Why do leaves fall? Sin. There's so much that is affected by sin. The life expectancy of man dropped exponentially after the flood. It was a big deal to live 120 or 130 years after the flood. And, uh, Moses even said that um, living 70 years was a full life. Or by reason of strength, 80 years. That's affected by sin. But we are all eternal beings. The question is not whether you are eternal. The question is where will you spend your eternity. So I want to spend a few moments on verse 27. And as it was appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. I hear a lot of people saying that we shouldn't judge people. That we should just let God judge. And people say, I want to be judged on my own merit. Well, let me tell you, quite honestly, my own merit is no good. I do not want to be judged on my own merit, because if I was judged on my own merit, I would be headed straight to hell. <coughs> because apart from Christ, I hated God and everything to do with Him. But, 
God who is rich in mercy reached down into my life and he claimed me for his own. And he took on him my sin and he gave me his righteousness instead. So sure, if you want to be judged on your own merit, then go right ahead. But I challenge you to look at the Ten Commandments and to tell me with a straight face that you kept every single one. Because the reality is, none of us have. And when you take it to the New Testament level of your thoughts, even above your deeds, it gets even worse. Because the Bible tells me that if I hate my brother, I've murdered him. If I've looked on a woman with lust in my heart, I've committed adultery with her already. This is what Jesus was saying to these Pharisees. He, he said to the disciples, if you, unless your righteousness exceeds those of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never get into heaven. So what do I do if my righteousness can't get that far? I trust the righteousness of the one who never did anything wrong. In whose mouth was no guile. Who left us an example that we should follow in his steps. And when I do that and God looks at me, he doesn't look at me through the lens of who I am. He looks at me through the lens of who Jesus is. Because according to Colossians... My life is hid with Christ in God. And that's amazing, amazing security. If you would like to talk to me afterwards about what it is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, or maybe you just want me to pray with you, I would love to do that. I'm just going to end our message this morning with this quote by Richard L. Evans who says, The tragedy of life is not that it ends so soon, but that we wait so long to begin it. I think this works on multiple levels. First of all, on the most obvious level, if you're not a Christian yet, what are you waiting for? Don't say at a later time when life gets less busy, then I will trust Jesus. Because while Jesus is attentive to deathbed conversions, as we see with the thief on the cross, we don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when we get in our car later today if we'll make it home. But we do know that if we don't, we're either going to heaven or hell. But the other aspect of this is, if you are living, start living. If you are living, live life to the fullness. I believe that when God said, when Jesus said, I've come to give them life and life more abundant, that he wants that abundant life to start now. And the thing is, and there was a time when I was guilty of this too, when I said, well, I, I really eventually want to do ministry. 
I really eventually want to do this or do that. And the reason that I'm in ministry today is because I had friends and my father who were willing to say, quit saying that eventually you'll do it. And just surrender to do it. I don't know if my uncle anticipated this way back several years ago when he gave me the opportunity to give my testimony at work trainings that he did, but his foresight in asking me to share my story is really kind of the foundation upon which my speaking ministry has sprung up. So I'm so thankful for the many people that have contributed to my ministry. We're, we're, we're co-laborers in the gospel. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Paul said, some say I am of Paul, some say I am of Apollos. That's not important. What it matters is, are you of Christ? So if there's something that you say, I'd like to do that someday, may I encourage you? Maybe someday is tomorrow. And maybe you need to get started with it today because as the old saying goes, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. So I hope that these points will stick with you and give you frames of thought and study. So just to review as we end, and then we'll close in prayer. We learn that life came from the very hand of God. It's the only part of creation that was made by the hand of God is our lives. Life is a blessing. Life has purpose. And life is brief. And of course, if you study life in the Bible, you could probably find some other important things about life that God wants us to know. But I know this, that at some point in the past, he decided that the world needed you. And that's why you're here today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to spend these few moments in your word. Lord, we pray that you would bless it to our hearts and minds and our souls. Lord, I pray that you would be with each individual here today, that they would um, be convicted where they need to be convicted, that they would be encouraged where they need to be encouraged, that we would leave here better people than when we came. Now, I pray that you would give your peace and blessing to each person here. Again, bless Pastor Shane as he comes home, and we just thank you for any visitors who are here today. We know that they are not here by accident. And we praise you for this. And I also pray, Lord, that if there be anyone here that has not surrendered to you, that today would be that day. In Jesus' precious name, amen.